Hey guys, on this episode of EdTech, we're going to be talking with Scott Tyner, Ernie Bailey, and Rob Raspberry. We're going to be talking about AV as a service and how it's evolving and how it's going to be, how it's going to be implemented in the coming future. And all this and more on EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 77, AV as a Service is Evolving. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box. This is EdTech, the monthly higher ed tech podcast. I'm your host, Bill O'Donnell, and this month we'll be covering lots of fun AV topics. But first and foremost, let's get to our, our participants. First and foremost, Mr. Scott Tyner, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Bill. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Uh, as always, Mr. Ernie Bailey, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bill. Good. And last, but certainly not least, Mr. Rob Raspberry, how are you? Great. Always good to be here. Yay. All right. So, first and foremost, um, the topics we're going to cover are uh, uh, AV User Group and AQAV uh, announced a partnership. This comes to us from uh, Innovate.net. Uh, uh, if you take a look at it and everything, um, pretty much for the most part, uh, AQAV, um, which is uh, by this uh, gentleman, uh, Mario Maltese and the, the uh, AV9000, um, they've offered a partnership with AV User Group, and it's really kind of more of just an expanding of the, um, uh, of the, of like the knowledge pool and things like that. Um, if you're not familiar with AV9000, uh, it is a checklist slash um, kind of standards guide that, uh, you know, if you go through it, uh, the punch list, you know, there really shouldn't be a punch list, or if there is, it's one and done. Um, <clears throat> gentlemen, you, as I say, uh, now, have any of you guys actually had experience doing the uh, AQAV or AV9000? I just want to, you know, get your thoughts on this. I've looked at it here, you know, we're in a very small market. Mm -hmm. So pushing those standards to local integrators back before we were doing our own installation, mm -hmm. uh, either we got no response or people said to meet the requirements of the 9,000, push things way outside our budget. You know, we don't, there's not enough AV companies, there's not enough AV business, mm -hmm. not, the competition's not here to make it worth their while to meet those standards. Uh, I think they're, it's a great, standard to live by mm -hmm. uh, great a great goal to have in your installs and we use it informally internally when we're building systems like I said we're building things inside so we we've reviewed you know with our team on several occasions the different the standards of the 9000 you know you do this without errors you do it right the first time you think about what you're doing you know before you crimp a connector all that all that type of stuff so it's done right, and that's the thing. That's uh, really kind of it boils down to is that um, I'm, you know, for me and and Ernie and I'm sure Scott is in the same boat of this is that you tend to look at like some of the AV nine thousand stuff, and it's good guidelines, and it's good to bring the bring up like say if you have to contract it to an outside integrator. Um, <clears throat> the thing that I want to push is you know, would you guys eventually adopt those standards or is it, once again, it just kind of comes back to bring, being more uh, of a good foundation and uh, kind of more, better guidelines kind of thing. 
And actually, you know what, this, this is something, Ernie, I'll actually ask you. Um, who do you think actually has stricter guidelines, either the AV9000 or the, or the VIXA uh, um, Infocom uh, guidelines? That's a tough one. I think probably the 9,000 is a little bit stricter. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the standards set by Avixta, and those are, you know, very good standards set to go towards uh, the um, 9,000. Uh, the AQAV package is more a looking at the quality of the work itself. Mm -hmm. it, it's the standards set forth by a you know by a vixa uh, with their iso uh standards uh do say you know you're gonna you know we expect this level mm -hmm. while the nine thousand is how you get to that uh it's, it, that, that's the way i understand it interpreted anyway mm -hmm. well that's that's fine it's one of those things um like i said it's it's levels of standards and things like that and it's not a, it's not a bad thing. So some are a little bit more, a little more stringent. It's also in the same regard of uh, sometimes you'll have, um, you know, your your uh, uh, electrical inspector. Some of them, some of them will go and say, "Oh yeah, no, this is, you know, you're already to to at least to this code. You know, it's good. You're fine." Yeah. And there's others. Um, and it's, once again, this kind of depends on where you are. Uh, at least in uh, New Jersey, where I am. Um, Anytime we pull any kind of low voltage cabling, uh, we always have to document everything as to where, like, you know, where the cable risers were, where the drops are, how many, all that kind of stuff. And um, it is more of, it, it does depend is if we have it inspected by our on-site electricians and they'll look and say, oh, yeah, no, this is okay. Um, or, you know, we have to submit everything to uh, DCA, which can be a real pain in the butt because if an inspector comes out and finds one thing wrong, he looks and goes and says, yeah, rip it all out. You didn't, uh, you didn't do it to snuff. But, um, yeah. So, uh, that, as I say, that aside, um, Scott, what do you, what do you guys tend to use more as your, your, uh, guiding standards on campus and everything? Is it more, is it just more of what, um, uh, more of like the Infocom standards or do you literally look at it and go and say, yeah, that no, redo this. This is not good. No, we, we try to follow the um, AVIXA standards. I think for me and my staff, what we always think about whether it's training or certifications or standards is you, you get it, you know it, you understand it. So that if you make a choice not to follow one, you, you're making an educated choice, mm -hmm. a reason that fits an environment that you have to, you know, mm -hmm. it's only so tall, you can't put in a 10 foot screen, right? But you know what you're doing. The end user knows why you've done it and what some of the, re what some of the um, repercussions would be. But, mm -hmm. but we do. My staff is all CTS certified and trained, and we try to follow those standards. But at least we know mm -hmm. and make conscious choices when we can't. Now, right. the, now, the other thing, and I'll just play like the evil devil's advocate here and everything. Um, now, do your guys pull the cables or do you use it more of your network folks that uh, end up uh, doing the cable pulls and things like that? And there, there's a reason for this is because some of the network folks don't always have CTS certification. They'll have uh, Bitsy or structured, you know, your structured cable certs and everything. So is we have uh, for our, most of our cables, we have a outside electrician actually come and pull it. All right. And we do ask for tests on that cable when it's done to make sure they didn't get yeah, pulled too hard or ripped during pulling or the like. Uh, but my, my AV staff does not pull those cables anymore. Oh, okay. 
it, once again, it all depends on where it is, how much, um, you know, how much, how much time do you guys have and things like that. Um, for us, we tend to do it uh, in-house with our network folks. Um, a couple of them have Bitsy certifications. Um, for us, we have, CT, we have our CTS certs and everything. Um, it's just really more of a, at least there's some sort of certification standard and everything. We have our CTS certification on ours. Uh, we have a separate cable pull team. They pull for networking. They pull, they pull any low voltage stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and they will always pull from the closet into the room for us. And if we have time and enough to justify it, we will have them pull in room also, you know, just, but they're much better at handling the cables. They, they can run a bundle of cables a whole lot faster than my team, but we don't let them terminate. Ah. We do all terminations and we, we do call them back to repull cables. If there are damaged cables or if they're not labeled the same at both ends, mm -hmm. have them come and identify them for us. Now, is that because of, in, in a lot of cases, what, what we end up doing, um, some of us are still, you know, working off uh, HD base T and valence systems and things like that. Is it because of, uh, say, like, you know, shielded terminations and some, I, I've had it where we've had, like, you know, outside folks do it, and it's just like we look and go and say, you guys either A, didn't connect the shield, or B, you know, you didn't use, like, the correct head or something. Uh some of it's that, but some of it's also, you know, we like to dress cables in exactly where we want them to leave, leave our service loop, you know. Uh, when they leave me cables, we may ask for, you know, 20 feet on the floor so we've got room to work all the way through the rack and then trim it. And I'm going to end up with, you know, if they pull 10 cables, six of them are going to be 30 feet. One's going to be 18. Mm -hmm. and the rest are going to be 22. So I'm asking for 20, 20 feet on each one of them. So. Yeah. Um, Rob, when it comes to, uh, folks at Drexel and everything now, it, it is, it does tend to be a little bit of a mix and everything. Um, do you guys go down the similar path or is it suddenly turned into, Hey, we're renovating this entire building. All right. Well, this is going, going out to contract because, you know, you're putting out fires in 240 other rooms. Yeah. So we're sort of in a state of a bit of evolution with that. So, I mean, may, many of the cable poles are done by outside contractors mm -hmm. The Ethernet, that's all networking. But for some of the installs that uh, my team internally and the guys that do the installs are CTS certified, mm -hmm. they are capable of pulling, you know, control cables and things of that sort. But we do not typically deal so much with the network Ethernet or anything else. That goes to facilities or outside contractor. Okay. Now, do, now, do you guys terminate your cables yourself? Like, you know, much like Ernie and those? Yes. Um, yeah, the only time, um, the only, the only time we've ever gotten into it where we suddenly said, no, 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 the network guys are terminating this entirely because we just kind of like looked at it and said, no, thanks, uh, was specifically, um, we were actually running an extension. Uh, we were, we were actually adding another switch to an area, but the only way they could do it was by running fiber. And listen, I love multi-mode and single mode and everything, but, um, if you've never terminated fiber, the old method, you used to have like a, a three-set uh, sheet and you had to grind it down and do a certain polish and a whole thing. These days, it's there's almost like a cleave and cut system. But yeah, that's as I say, the network guys have taken care of that for the longest time. So it's just one of those like, this is old hat for you. Have fun. I, I you know, that way it's also none of my concern. Anyway, 
Um, so that aside, uh, our next article comes to us from AV Technology, uh, or sorry, avnetwork.com. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a little bit of an old adage, but you know, it's, it's always fun to come back to it. And that is, um, there's the building synergy uh, between campus AV and IT departments. Now, for most of us, and I could certainly say this in our group and everything, uh, most of us have already been folded into the IT department and everything. But there's always, um, there's always a level of trust. And that's where I'm really going to say, if you go through with the article and everything, um, I say there's more of a trust management and trust development um, when it comes to us and our IT department. Reason being is that, you know, there can be some new stuff that comes along and we go, oh, this is great. And then you tend to install, like, you know, if you end up installing it and certain features aren't clicked off, you're going to have your, uh, you're going to have your network admin coming down and saying, what did you do? Uh, case in point, my all-time favorite, and I think I've said this, but um, Ernie's already nodding his head because he knows almost exactly where I'm going with this. Uh, if you remember the early days of DM, uh, there were two things. One, before they established uh, private network mode, uh, it were, you know, your 8x8 switcher or a DMPS would require about 20 to 25 IP addresses per unit. Uh, the other thing that ended up happening was uh, they would have a protocol, uh, rapid spanning tree. And if you didn't turn that off, um, that would cause havoc within the network. And, um, well, I've, I've learned both of those methods. And, um, but it also... Oh, oh, yeah, painfully. But... At the same time, it also caused our network folks to actually start to have a conversation with us uh, to the point that, you know, these days we have our own private VLAN about stuff and they kind of, you know, let us do our own thing. The next evolution of all this is um, our broadcast guys are starting to use, uh, I've been using uh, Dante Audinate quite a bit and they're looking going, oh, this is the future of it. And I'm looking going, cool, here's the SDVOE alliance. You should take a look at this. But it's one of those things we're trying to put it on, uh, on our IT's uh, radar going, you're going to have to beef up your backbone. And it's, it's one of those things we're just trying to give them the heads up. And, you know, it, it's, like I said, it's a trust thing. So, Rob, I'll kind of kick back to you on this one. Um, you know, are you guys more of a, are you guys more pro, trying to be more proactive with your IT department? Or is it really more of, well, this is what, what the client wants. We're going to, as I say, you're going to have to give this to us. Um, we're working with the networking folks to sort of give them a heads up about, you know, the whole evolution of AV over IP and understand that this is something that's going to actually have to happen. But I think at this point, right, you know, as of today, if, you know, it's like if it's not on our network and it's not touching our network, then you do what you want. <laughs> but what it ultimately comes down to is is having some conversations and that's what we're trying to do to sit down with the networking guys and say hey listen this is this is where everything's going let's you know work together to try to move towards that now with that in mind they have multiple issues and big time things to deal with mm -hmm. ultimately what it comes down to in in some cases is that if your leadership recognizes this as you know a, a necessary thing and it makes the transition a lot easier yeah. we're, we're, we're working on it. and i think that you know it's you mean, you mean you guys haven't plugged in something that caused the network to go kaboom i'm, I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one <laughs> <laughs> i've never done that I've we're, never we're all still here luckily no you no know, yeah we're, oh that's yeah. never happened 
But um, so I, I think that, you know, uh, we're starting to have uh, a little better understanding mm-hmm. of what's needed, but still, it's a, still a long way off. You know, the, the networking guys still give us AV guys, you know, the weird look when we mention the certain well, thing. You know. Okay, so this is the other end of it. And, and this is where, you know, certain things are going to start to kind of hit the fan. Um, so, for example, like uh, um, both, any of you guys can time, chime in with this. Um, when it comes to, say, wireless collaboration units, whether it's, no, no, I'm, no, no, hold on, hold on. I, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm going into the dark path. I'm, gonna, I'm going into Mordor. I'll be, bring it right back. So um, when it comes to the wireless collaboration units, at least here, uh, we settled on Mersive Solstice. And we went with the hardware pods because originally we said, oh, we'll put the software on the, uh, on the PCs. And then we kind of said, oh, yeah, by the way, in order to update them, uh, the PCs need to have public IP addresses. And the network folks went, there's a hardware unit? Fine. We'll, we'll give you the hardware unit. Um, we'll allow that on the network. And we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll wall this thing off to within an inch of its life. Um, and that's one of those things where once like, you know, the public or folks start to like play around with it, they think it's the greatest thing ever. Um, have you guys had, has that been one of those like kind of growing pains or I know Rob like just looked at me like going, Oh no. So what happened? I, I, as I say, there's a story behind that one. Uh, so immersive, mm-hmm. uh, the pods and everything. So we had a while ago, years and years ago had mentioned that we wanted these, you know, in some of our classrooms mm-hmm. and, and we got put in front of the firing squad and they didn't miss a shot. They shot us down and every, it, it was, it was not pretty. Then a couple of years later, all of a sudden the law school somehow manages to have these put in their department. And I'm wondering what the heck's going on. So I guess they had some kind of conversation with someone influential mm-hmm. and suddenly they appear. So it was, it was very awkward. So I guess it's like, you know, they have an initial um, uh, resistance to it. Mm-hmm. If they're put back in the corner, you know, they test and say, oh, well, oh, this actually works. Oh, okay. Go ahead. You know. And, and that's the thing. And, and both Ernie and Scott, you guys are kind of nodding your heads. In this regard, uh, the way we at least approached the network folks was we came up, we came, we brought the white paper to them. And specifically we said, listen, here are the ports it needs. Beyond that, you can wall everything off. And the only other thing that, um, that they, they put a firm no on was, uh, if you're not familiar, uh, the Solstice pods all have a, they can double as their own wireless access points. And um, initially off the bat, if you plug it into our network, it'll shut it down. <laughs> it'll go, no, you're not getting anything. You get an IP address, but you can't access anything. So it's, once again, it's, it, we try to be proactive with our IT network. And yes, there are times where they'll still be like, no, no, no. And I go, hold on guys here. Here's the, here's the networking ports. Here's what you can do. I know you're security oriented. So I'm, you know, as I make the joke of, you know, you offer up the little, little sacri- little sacrificial lamb of like, you know, here's the white paper and they take it and they look, and they go, oh, let's consult with our, with our, with our, uh, other, our security guys. And, you know, lo and behold, it, it came about. Um, Mr. Tyner. <laughs> Yeah, we've been actually, you say that about the security guys, we've been fortunate at Bates that over the past year, we actually hired a director of information security mm-hmm. who is, who's given this actual nice balance between uh, a networking team who I, who I think nature and, and appropriately, appropriately so in many ways is to say no 
first thing I'm gonna do is protect my network. <laughs> and and us who are like, hey, listen, I bought this yesterday. Can you put it on the network today? And this person kind of gives us that nice balance of, okay, what security risk does this really pose? And how much time can the networking team take a look at it and think about it? Um, which has been helpful because over years, we've had the, many of the same struggles that everybody else has uh, with getting things on the network. And yes, like everybody else, we've, we've brought it down. We've, we've, we've plugged a uh, ethernet port into the courtesy port on a RMC and um, <laughs> made things go boom. Mm-hmm. But it's, like I said, it's the, the way at least I try to, that I think a lot of us should try to approach it is I'm not trying to take down the network or anything like that. I understand, you know, you, this is, you know, vulnerabilities and everything, but at the same time, um, it's, it's trying to make life easier for folks. It's trying to make it like, you know, once I showed the, the, um, the uh, immersive so- software to our student development folks, they said, wait, I can show a PowerPoint off my phone. I'm like, you can, I'm not recommending that you can do that. I'd rather you did it off your iPad or your laptop, but you can do that. And you know, they said, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, But they think it's the greatest thing ever. And they like it because they can actually like walk around and, and, you know, improve the, the actual interaction and make sure the students aren't nodding off and anything. Once again, this is not an advertisement so much as it's, it's trying to make life easier for the faculty because now, I, I will say this up front. Uh, as I say, as I say, Ernie aside, uh, no, like, you know, folks are not coming to our schools because, oh, they've got the most high-def projectors. Um, you know, at a medical school, that actually does make a bit of difference. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it does. Uh, in any event, um, like I said, it's just, it's, I think as core guys, uh, would you agree that it's, it is trust management and more of the point it's we're, we're all just trying to make life easier and it's not, you know, it's, it's oh, go ahead. So we have an interesting experience just last week. We just completed the uh, complete uh, AV overhaul of our uh, chancellor's boardroom where he has his cabinet meetings and all that, all the high ups on campus. Um, and we added, you know, uh, a wireless gateway for everyone to, use if they wanted to present from their phone or their iPad or they couldn't, there wasn't a laptop connection close to where they were sitting at the table and added video conferencing to the room. We'd been rolling a card in where they needed it. Uh, So integrated everything into the room, finished it uh, a week and a half ahead of schedule. Hmm. That's the first time we've ever beat a schedule Um, and did it in this room. Everything just kind of fell into place. We were called into the first chancellor's cabinet meeting. They wanted to introduce us to the rest of the cabinet, uh, my lead installer and I, yep. talk about what we did, wanted us to show off every what we had put it in. The chancellor's administrative assistant ran the show and did the demonstration, including presenting from her cell phone and said, if y'all want to know how to install this app, don't, you don't have to bother the AV guys. Come, I'll help you install it and show you how to use it. See? And, you know, my boss was sitting right beside me, you know, our CIO. And uh, he just looked at me and smiled. And then, uh, you know, I said, you know, I'm not showing off to you the equipment. I said, you know what we can do as much as showing you off Luke's ability to train someone on how to use a system we've put in. 
That is very true. Uh, and he got that. And that that's what helps build the trust with the rest of IT. When the CIO and the CTO are sitting right there, seeing what we've done and seeing it being used by non-technical people. And, that, and like you said, the, the endorsement from the uh, admin going, no, 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 just, you know, don't bother them. Talk to me. If it's that, you know, out of the box, easy. That's, that's really like, that, that's, as I say, I, that would take that as like the highest compliment ever. <laughs> it's not, but by, by no means is that like, you know, cutting your job out so much as that's like, right. just, here you go. Just take exactly. it and run. And she was actually presenting, we use uh, Crestron Air Media. Mm -hmm. She was using, she connected to it with an iOS device, mm -hmm. which is the most number of steps you have to go through to present on an Air Media is with an iOS device. Just, you know, between the two, getting it all set up. And mm -hmm. she ran through it without missing a step. And this was three days after we completed the installation and trained her how to use it. That's the, like I said, that's the kind of thing where it's, it's once again, that's the epitome of uh, trust, trust building. So, uh, last on our, uh, on our uh, articles is, um, comes to us from Rave Pubs, and that is a follow-up. Uh, it's our own Mr. Uh, Scott Tyner, and that's uh, Tyner's new take on AV as a service. So, um, Mr. Tyner, would you uh, care to, care to uh, explain this one to us? Uh, yeah, actually, I think um, as I as I read this again and read many of the comments on it, for mm -hmm. me, the 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 article is actually more about how much AV is going to change in the next few years, and and the fact that we're going to have what I'm calling black boxes in rooms mm -hmm. controlled by software that is somewhere else. These things don't have brains; they're just boxes sitting in rooms. As I began to really think about that and think about how that models a lot of the software we use now, um, that's when I started rethinking, well, does this, is this actually AV as a service? Um, and have, have I been hearing it wrong as other people have explained it to me? Mm -hmm. Or is this actually just where it's going to eventually evolve to in that room upgrades are more about paying somebody for software upgrades than they are about taking devices in and out of rooms and, and re, reinstalling equipment in rooms. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then that, that service makes more sense um, to me than it ever has before. Oh yeah. Um, the, 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 you're right. And, and it's, the, it's in the realm of, like you said, it's, you're paying the folks, really it's, you know, oh, I wanna put uh, wireless microphones and speakers in a room and things like that. Um, it's, it's one of those things I can, I can definitely understand where you're, where you're coming from with that. Uh, the other end of it that I want to kind of counteract is, um, I don't know. The, the better question is, is, is that like the new subscription service is, is that going to be where integrators really actually make their, make their, their bread and butter about it? Right. So, I mean, I think the example I give in there about uh, a class capture, right? You don't need a box there anymore. Mm -hmm. and you pay for the class capture as a subscription because you're going to get upgrades to it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can even think of the hardware and it talks a little bit about a camera and part of this is a little bit off. So jet skis now, some of the jet skis you can buy, mm -hmm. you buy the same jet ski no matter what. And then you buy a key. And the key is actually what accesses the horsepower on the jet ski for you. And 
to me, that's the same service of you buy this camera that sits there pointing at something. It's got all the ability to pan, tilt, zoom, all that. But you, until you pay for it, mm-hmm. you've just got a camera sitting there. Um, and the beauty is you can pay for it as you need it. You, maybe in schools we don't need it during the summer, so we don't pay that subscription cost during the summer. Mm-hmm. I think there's a whole different way of thinking about it that that software piece really kind of made me start thinking about. Well, and that actually reminds me, and uh, Ernie or Rob, you can kind of ch- back me up on this one. Um, a, lo- a while back, uh, when we were still dealing with uh, uh, hardware codecs and everything, so the days of Tamburg and Polycom and PictureTel and everything, that's actually kind of dating me a little there. But um, the when it came to like certain aspects of Polycom, uh, what they would do is they would send you out a codec, but if you wanted, you know, uh, people plus content uh, or certain other facets, that was oh, you have to pay for that. Uh, I'm like, well, isn't it already in the box? Yes. And that's how they, they knew they would kind of get you. It's, it's, in that, it's in that same realm, except for the fact that uh, now that hardware box is completely software. And now we're just, you know, focusing more, like you said, on the camera or, the, uh, or, or some of the peripheral uh, hardware and everything. Uh, Ernie, you have, uh, <laughs> I saw you kind of nodding your head on this one. I was like, yeah. Yeah, we go through that and they're getting better about it. But, you know, making sure that, when you when we purchase a new codec, we purchase all the keys that go with it. You know, uh, the remote monitoring and uh, multipoint or whatever we're going to need in that room, uh, because getting them afterwards is difficult. Oh yeah. It, from from you know, uh, it, it's, just getting the vendor to upgrade it for you or the you know the dealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's it, it costs you more, and I. My first experience with something like that actually goes back to uh, when I was in broadcast many, many years ago. We bought a very expensive switcher mm-hmm. that had downstream keying listed under the under you know all the features. And that was you know it had three levels of downstream key. That's what we were after. Well, it only had one layer when we got it, and you know argued back and forth, and they said, "Well, that's another twenty five hundred dollars to get the second, third layer." added. I said, okay. And we cut them a purchase order and said, when can I expect that? And they said, you have your pen ready. And they gave me a code. They said, okay, go to the little touchpad on it and enter this code. And that was all I had to do to make it work. And, oh, I was hot that, you know, I, I wanted another piece of hardware to come in <laughs> that I plugged into it. You know, I, there's a slot I got to plug this card in. If, you, if the card's already there, I paid for it. Why didn't? I, why can't I use it? Oh yeah. You know, and you know, with software and firmware upgrades and stuff like that, I understand it now better than I did back then. Anyway, you know, I'm paying for the support that I'm getting for it, and I'm paying to keep it current and all that, mm-hmm. not just to turn it on. No, and that's the that's the thing that um, if you look at Solstice and. This is where folks get kind of a little, you know, hot about, and that is uh, like with Solstice. If if you buy a, if you purchase a Solstice pod, um, they used to say, "Oh, you have to get an extended warranty." And my boss is very much looking. Goes, "It's hardware. Like why? Like, okay, but he's like, I should be able to just upgrade the software, no problem." They're like, "No, no, you can't upgrade the software unless you have the warranty." Solstice, at least now, has kind of 
gone back on that a little bit and said, okay, it's a subscription service <laughs> or it's a software subscription. Yeah. And now if they're upfront about it, it's like, well, okay, now you, you can't really, they can't really get that mad at you about it. Um, but it's, it's still one of those things. Like I think once again, everything's kind of going to the, I think in my boss's case, he was hoping that we would just go to the Adobe model and that is, oh, you're at an enterprise level. Okay. It's this much for, you know, the enterprise. Here you go. You can, you know, have whatever many units you want. Um, right. Yeah. Eventually, eventually I could see, you know, I could see uh, um, immersive getting that, but I think if they have to do some bigger growth and some other software dealings. With, with our codex, we go through a deal right now mm -hmm. where, you know, we pay an annual maintenance fee mm -hmm. and it goes up every year, you know, as the, as the device gets older. Mm -hmm. And we're at some now where, you know, 16 months of the maintenance contract will buy me a new unit. <laughs> so... Is this a uh, Tamburg Classic on the side or something? Uh, well, oh. it's there are some that do, but there are also some that, that say Cisco on them that oh, okay. are not that old. Oh. You know, that's horrible. Say, yeah, they're four, four or five years old, and it's already getting more expensive to keep their warranty and their their maintenance contract. So I get the upgrades for the software mm -hmm. than it is to buy a new one. Rob, you had something. Yeah, I, I found it. The other part of the article was is that I was talking about the gloom and doom and the AV and the installs. You're all going to go away. You're going to die. Everybody, and this is going to be all automated by software. Where software can't put in hardware. Okay, you can't install that stuff, and you need people to maintain it. You need people on site if something goes wrong. You know, I know there are you know some instances where I know at some place in Penn they had you know outside contracted to an integrator and they have somebody on site that troubleshoots the rooms and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm not sure how cost effective that is, but I mean, Penn can afford it. So a lot of us can't. Yeah. Um, so I found it a little funny that the person would say, Oh, uh, the, the human part of this is just all going to go away. I think it just changes. We've always had these options, subscriptions, um, you know, happening. I think it's going to become more and more the norm, but, you still have to have somebody on site. You still have to somebody to install it. You still have to somebody physically be there to troubleshoot things in a classroom, in an auditorium. So I just found that part of it. And Scott, I don't know if you agree with that. I found that, you know, a little funny. I think that everybody, I should say, sometimes when people write, they, uh, they like a little hyperbole. Um, and there was definitely some there. But, for, but I think actually, in many ways, I actually think it's going to grow the industry and, and grow roles and it changes uh, the industry for sure. But this idea that, oh boy, there won't be an Infocom in, in 10 years, uh, I think is, is a little silly. <laughs> That's all I say about that. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's fun. It, 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 first and foremost, it won't. It'll just simply dynamically change. Now, granted, you know, let's put it this way. I don't think, I don't see us, uh, you know, ever bringing back, you know, oh, check out the plasma wall. No, that's not coming back uh, unless the, as I say, no, who am I kidding? But, you know, they'll just, it, certain things will just change over. Um, you know, listen, we're always going to have the projector screen. We're always going to have, um, you know, whatever iteration of the video wall is. Uh, I'm sure both um, uh, Barco and Christie and uh, LG, not LG, but like Sony and Samsung will go and get into the pixel pitch wars and everything. That's always going to be there. Or, or until someone, you know, finally comes up with the, uh, you know, actually someone perfects the Google Glass, but, you know, even Google gave that up. Anyway, 
Um, I, I think it's just always, it's, it's just, it's going to be, Scott, would you say it's just, it's just a change. It's just a change in dynamics. It's just a, it's just an evolution of things. That's all I really view. It absolutely is. And, and I mean, I think, as I was saying, I think Robert's saying it, it, it's actually changing in an exciting way. So it's going to change something more towards programmers. There's always going to be people that install things. You still need to know where to put a projector and where to put a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, I assume 40 years ago when somebody, if you, if your business model was fixing slide projectors and CRT TVs and you never changed, you, you well, you probably retired now and probably should be. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're, if your model today isn't thinking about cloud and software as a subscription and, and what you're selling, you, you need to, that's the point of this article, right? You need to start changing and thinking about that. Um, but you still have a business and you still have uh, a need for people to do things. Yeah. Well, anyway, guys, that's, uh, that brings us up to uh, the end of our show. Uh, Mr. Tyner, where can fine folks find you at? Uh, on LinkedIn or on Twitter at S Tyner. Fair enough. Uh, Mr. Ernie Bailey. You find me on LinkedIn. All right. Mr. Raspberry. Uh, same LinkedIn. All right. Folks, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Once again, this is EdTech, the higher ed monthly tech podcast. I'm your host, Bill O'Donnell. And once again, this is EdTech, part of the AV Nation podcast family. Once again, this is EdTech.